What's soft? What light through yonder window breaks? It's by the ghost. I'm Cassie. I'm Ryan. And we're doing a gender-bent R&J. You know we could. I've done playground R&J. And that was pretty yep. successful. I did Gangs of New York R&J, which was also okay. f- fairly successful. And my kids have been asking what the next playground Shakespeare is going to be. So apparently this is now a thing that I've locked myself into. Did you keep the playground equipment? We raffled it off and the Walters won it. So technically, So kind yes. of. Yeah, you still have it. Yeah, you still have we access still have, to it. I still have access to a geodome. It's fine. It's fine. You can use it for whatever you want. Put it in Little Women. <laughs> yes. Call up my, my tech director. Dear Liz, I have decided 10 days out from opening to replace our set with a geodome. I hope this well, is Well, you okay. said you needed something different for your attic, right? Like the right, attic exactly. part. So there you go. Yeah. They just, you know, you got two foot platform and then you just put the geodome on top of that and then they sit on top of the geodome and that's the attic. Done. Beautiful. Designed. Thank you so much for your expertise. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, I am actually Ryan. And I'm actually Cassie. And we've got some things to talk about today. And uh, Cassie is uh, neck deep in directing a musical with children in it. So Cassie uh, is actually in her happy place. This is a happy place for very few people. (laughs) on the planet but this is cassie's happy place it's true i do love this part of the process i love watching everything come together i can already feel from two weeks in the future the sheer skepticism eyebrow raise that i just got from my husband he's gonna listen to this he's going to come into my office and he's just gonna give me that look of you love this part of the process you're not a giant ball of stress spaghetti during this part of the process. This is how you know you've directed before and you are, one, not bad at it, but two, also kind of enjoy doing it. Because watching people direct the first time or not really experiencing it or directing a big show, the the first time into it, they do auditions, they're excited, they're excited for everything to start. Read-through goes well, the first week or two rehearsals goes well, but as soon as anything goes wrong or anything goes off the rails, they're just lost. And that's kind of part of it. And then the trick is, how quickly can you get back on? Whether that's on schedule, or solving the problems, or solving the issues, or figuring out how to do whatever you're trying to do. Um, And that is when you find out whether or not you like directing. Yeah, and this is my, oh gosh, um, 15th or 16th full-length show that I've directed. I, I have to go count. Um, But it's somewhere around there. And that's not including, you know, one-act short plays, um, classes that have written a script that I've then directed. It's not counting any of that. And so at this point, I go into all of my shows knowing, okay, at some point something is going to go wrong. At some point we are going to hit an obstacle. I have never yet had a show that didn't throw me a weird curveball one week, two weeks out. Something's going to happen. You're going to have to pivot. So it's you just kind of brace yourself like, all right, what are you throwing at me? What is it going to be? What's the obstacle that I have to overcome this time? And then you deal with it. And hopefully you surround yourself with people who are equipped to help you deal with it in a positive way that makes the process as smooth sailing for the students involved as possible. And that's always my goal. It is so important to have 
people on your production team that know what they're doing, but more so than that, that you can trust to know what they're doing and uh, fill in your own uh, knowledge holes, right? Like, mm-hmm. I have I have worked with people. I've worked on production teams, but then also on my own with many great people, but also many people that I'm like, ah, no, 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 no. We do not click. We do not work well together in this. You're great. I enjoy spending time with you. I cannot trust you to be my stage manager or to costume the show or whatever. And it is really easy for that to become very personal very quickly. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. And I, my goal is to put together a team of people that will just always be my team. I no longer have to go look for a music director. I no longer have to mm-hmm. go look for this part or this part or this part. I just have the right. team and they're the team and we move around as a unit. Right. And it's just like, it's not even a question of, are is Cassie going to ask me to come back and do this again? The answer is yes. And I'm right. real close. I'm very, very close. I, I have choreographer for life i'm pretty sure we've cemented liz as my tech director for life there you go so i need to get a dedicated stage manager Mm -hmm. and i gotta convince kelly that she doesn't want to go to grad school hi kelly i love you um good luck with that so that she can just stay and do my music directing forever um (laughs) we've talked about it she knows that that's how i feel uh (laughs) she'll get over grad school it's not that important I want Kelly to follow her dreams and do what makes her happy and fulfilled as a person. But I'm also selfish and I don't want to find another music director. Also, there's grad schools around here. Right. And I've got my <laughs> costumer on lock. Like, I've got all these people that have now been with me through several shows and we do work together as a team. We understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and we we know how to work together. And that's the dream because that makes every other piece of the process so much easier. We see it on Broadway um, throughout Broadway history, but then also it's just how theater works that once people figure out that they work well together or producers figure out that, Hey, this team that we've assembled works well together, or maybe we need to replace this one or this one. And then they stick together for forever or a very long time usually. And you see the same people get nominated over and over and over or the same people working together or the same creative teams. Uh, And that's just kind of how art works. Like it's not always the same for actors, you know, doing the same shows with the same other actors. But on the production side, it's really, really nice to have people that you like and can trust and get to make art with. I've gotten to luck into that at Gateway some. I've only, this is my 10th year there, and I've only had so much turnover. I mean, I've gone through several iterations of people at this point, but um, Mm -hmm. it's been really nice to have consistency because it's good for, it's good for us as creators and artists, but it's also good uh, for the students to have that consistency. Yeah. And I think back to the very first show that I directed when I was in college. I was a junior in college. I was 22 years old, 21 years old maybe. And Horizon, it's the same group I work for now, um, they had just broken off from the university. Scott Regan, the founder, had just retired. And so the board was a, a, a group of parents who were well-meaning but kind of clueless, like didn't know what went into anything. And they came to the university to Sarah Chambers' directing class looking for directors, and I pitched my show. 
And I was young and I didn't know what to ask for in terms of getting help. And they didn't know what to offer in terms of help. And I literally did everything myself. I was a production team of one person. Mm. I had a 13-year-old stage manager mm. um, who had never done theater before. And so his job was mostly just to be on book. But when it came to props, it came to costumes, it came to set, I did all of it. Now, we were performing in the Worcester Street Center. Ah. So set was... <laughs> fabric screens and rehearsal cubes but we had fold out panels that we painted um and it was just like me grabbing friends and saying hey can you come help me with this um but I did everything for that show and I was exhausted and I think back to that and I'm like how did I survive and I know that the reason reason I survived that is because it was at the Worcester Street Center and so there weren't stage lights for me to worry about and there wasn't an actual set for me to worry about and so I could kind of do it all on my own. And I couldn't put on good theater that way now. You have to have a good team. I say over and over and over again that theater is is not a solitary act. There's no such thing as a one-person show. True. You can, you can have a one-person show in the sense of having one actor. Like, that happens. Yes. But for that one person to go on stage, it's something like probably 40 or 50 people behind the scenes – between costumes and makeup and lights and props and set and sound and director and stage managers and on and on and on and on and on and on. It's just nice to get to work with people that you like. I know people can get accused of playing favorites uh, and people can get accused of not letting new people in or, you know, from an acting standpoint or from a, a production team standpoint, right? Like it can feel like an exclusive environment very easily but it's not really intended to be that way. I think it's more along the lines of once you figure out what you need from your people, you keep those people. And it's really easy to get burned on someone new, unfortunately. It is. It is. I've had it happen, you know. And, yeah, so I'm I'm pleased to be building my team. And I love my team. And I deeply appreciate my team. Um, and I would be... Nothing and nowhere without them. And that's my love letter to you guys. Because you're all listening because we make you. I know Kelly's listening. <laughs> I hope I hope Tim and, and Liz listen too. But yeah. And and that makes the fact that I have a show opening in ten days um much less stressful for me because the stress spaghetti is being shared amongst multiple people. And this metaphor is getting Strange. So, okay, I think I know the answer to this question, but I can't think of it right now. What was that show? That first one. It was called Cinderella, the World's Favorite Fairy Tale. Okay. I think I, and I think I vaguely remember it. Possibly. It was 2009, fall of 2009 that we did that one. I think I, so, yeah, so I wasn't at the university yet, but I think I remember posters at the very least, like seeing posters up or something, maybe at grounds. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Yeah. That was the first one. And look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. My first was Hamlet. Hamlet's a strong contender for the next Playground Shakespeare. Look, it would be pretty good. I've already done Hamlet twice now, though. So you have fun with that. Okay. <laughs> I'll show up and tell everybody that they're doing it wrong. Somebody has to play that role. I was talking to Chase about Playground Hamlet. So for context for anybody listening, um, three years ago, I directed Romeo and Juliet. But my concept for it that I developed in college was to set it at an elementary school between rival fifth grade classes. 
And so the whole of the story is happening on the playground at recess. And it just helps recontextualize the things about Romeo and Juliet that people go over mm-hmm. and make it like, OK, we're, we're really removing the focus from the romance and we're putting it on the senselessness of this fight. That was my goal. And so since then, Playground Shakespeare has become a running joke with my theater kids um, about now we're just going to take every Shakespeare play and find a way to place it on a playground. I mean, it's I think it's doable. I want to see a, I want to see Playground Titus. <laughs> I haven't quite figured out Playground Titus yet, um, but Playground Hamlet, because Hamlet is a whiny middle schooler. He's a whiny emo middle schooler. Yeah. And and that just works really well. And I was talking to Chase and I was like, Chase, do you think I could get away with cutting to be or not to be with just removing it from the show and not having it there at all? Bold strategy, Cotton. And and Chase was like, I can't I don't think you can can get rid of it entirely. And I said, "Okay, well, how about this? So in Hamlet, at one point, Hamlet gets kidnapped by pirates and it's not important enough to actually put on stage. We just hear about it. Yep. And so I've decided that for Playground Hamlet, the pirates are going to be like a dodgeball team. And they're going to frequently kidnap Hamlet. He's going to get kidnapped by pirates multiple times. Anytime he starts to like get in his head and be like weird and emo, the pirates are going to come beat him with a dodgeball and like take him off to run his feelings off. Look, if you want to cut down on monologues, that's a great way to do that. And so I said, okay, I will do four lines of to be or not to be. I will let him do to be or not to be. That is the question, whether it is nobler in the mind. And then he gets beamed with a dodgeball. And the pirates take him away. Whether it is nobler in the mind. Suffer the slings and arrows. Outrageous fortune. Yeah, some, yeah somewhere in there. It just gets hit in the head with a dodgeball. Somewhere there. And then you just got to make sure that you cast a pirate uh, dodgeball player that has really good aim. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, they're going to miss and hit Horatio, and it's a very different show. Yeah. So since we're talking about Shakespeare, I have uh, Shakespeare news I want to share. Shakespeare news? He's That's 400 years old. There's nothing new in Shakespeare. It's exactly 400 years old, actually, kind of. So uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company has announced um, – their season for 2023 because 2023 is the 400th anniversary of the publication of the first folio of Shakespeare's work, um, which is the first time all of his plays were collected in the same place and preserved for posterity. And there's actually a great play that has been written about the process of creating the first folio. It's called The Book of Will, and I highly recommend uh, finding it and reading it if you've never read it. And if you have any affection whatsoever for Shakespeare, you will adore this play. And so the Royal Shakespeare Company is is doing a season of five titles. And they specifically chose the titles that would have been lost forever if the first folio had not been published. Oh, that's a good way to approach that. I like that. Yeah. So it's it's five of the plays that they really had to work hard to track down and find copies of in order to put them in the first folio. And if the people hadn't been doing that work, these would have been lost to obscurity. So the five plays that they are performing for next season are The Tempest, Julius Caesar, Cymbeline, As You Like It, and Hey Ryan. Yeah. What's the what's the procedure? For saying the Scottish play on a theater podcast. Can we do that? Um, I think 
we call it, hmm, well, I know a Scottish laptop is a MacBook. Okay, and MacBook. So, yeah, we'll just call it MacBook. Beautiful. I don't want to incur the wrath of the ghost, you know? MacBook. MacBook. Is it, is it just is it McBook or is it McPodcast? Do we just call it McPod? McPod, I love it. Mickey Pod. Mickey. Um. <laughs> Found it. <laughs> Found it. There it is. Beautiful. So, those are the five shows, and instead of doing them in repertoire like they usually do, they're actually just doing them as like five separate standing shows. Mm. And um, the Tempest is going to open in. January, so that one has already been cast, and Alex Kingston is going to play Prospero, and I'm quite excited about that. That's incredible. Great. Right? Let's do it. And they're also working on a project called 37 Plays. Um, It's the official opening of submissions for a nationwide playwriting project. So they want to recognize 37 Plays that capture the stories of the world now to create a folio of new work to stand alongside Shakespeare's folio. All right. That's pretty cool. And I think that's really cool because I'm a Shakespeare nerd. You may have heard of this other podcast that I'm on called Shakespeare. Yep. As Cassie drinks water because that's what we can do over on this show. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that that's kind of cool Shakespeare news. That's pretty cool Shakespeare news. And this has been uh, Shakespeare in the Park with Cassie. It makes my my choice of a uh, summer show for my company all the more appropriate, even though I didn't do it on purpose. But from here on out, I will claim that I did do it on purpose. Our summer show is a show called Shakesplosion. Yes. Which is all 37 of Shakespeare's plays um, for middle schoolers to do in 90 minutes. Yeah. It's a little bit complete works abridged, is my understanding. It's a but little for bit middle schoolers. It is, but for middle schoolers. Um, and my favorite running gag of the show is that the group that wrote it had a retiring principal who they wrote into the story, and okay. so there's one role for an adult actor. And he comes on when they announce a show, and he's like, "Hey, I hear you needed me for this," and they're like, "Yeah, stand right there," and then they kill him. He's always the character that's that gets killed. That's pretty good. And uh, it's a great running gag. And at one point he comes out, he's like, you're not going to kill me again, are you? And they're like, no, of course not. And then they kill him. And so then they get to <laughs> they get to time in of Athens, which is like a, a deep cut Shakespeare play. It's so such a deep cut. It might actually be Timon. <laughs> there was debate on that in the yeah. Shakespeare episode, but we yeah. did settle on time in of Athens. It's probably more accurate. Where they're like, you have to come out because we need you to play this character. And from offstage, he just is yelling like, no, I'm not going to come out. You you keep telling me that you're not going to kill me. And then you kill me anyway. And that's not what friends do. And you're not my friends anymore. And I'm not coming out. And the people on stage kind of look at each other and go, well, that's basically the plot of Time in of Athens. So. Done. And that is my favorite joke in the entire play. It's such a deep cut. Oh, that's it's really such good. a deep cut joke. Really it's good. It's very, very good. Really, really good. And if you don't know why that's funny, you should go listen to the Shakespeare episodes for Time of Athens. Which can also be found on the Ghostlight Media Network. On the Ghostlight Media Network. Yeah. And so from here on out, I'm going to claim that I did that on purpose and I chose Shakesplosion because it is the 400th anniversary of the first folio publication. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because directors, as directors, we know that um, every single decision that we make is uh, well thought out far in advance. Mm-hmm. Every Absolutely. single one. Yeah. Nothing Every is ever one. decided in the moment or improvised. 
No, everything Nothing is, is happenstance. Nothing is happy coincidence. Mm-hmm. It's all plotted. The amount of time that I spend with my Lego figures pre-blocking. Mine were D&D figures, but yes. That's pretty I good. I stole them from Chase. Good. I don't have enough. I don't have enough D&D figurines, so maybe I'll just steal some from Chase. You should. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Chase, because I know you're listening. <laughs> I Chase, I need whatever you think uh, can represent 30 Newsies. I need that. <laughs> He's on it. So we are recording this episode uh, a little bit farther in advance than we normally do um, because Cassie has this show happening. So so the things that we were going to talk about, like um, we could talk about Beetlejuice closing, but we've kind of already talked about a lot of Broadway shows closing just last episode. We could talk mm-hmm. about the uh, Into the Woods cast recording that hasn't come out for us yet, but will be out by the time this episode drops. I'm sure it's incredible, and I'm sure I'm listening to nothing else. I've already been listening. They just released today, today in our time, not in your time, yes. but today in our time. They just released the recording of Agony oh, by Gavin so, Creel and Joshua so Henry. It's so good. It's Joshua so Henry good. can sing to me anytime he wants. For as long as he wants. And Gavin Creel is so good at this that he's coming oh back in the show to play the other prince. Ugh. It's so good. Yeah, that's it's all I'm going to be listening to as soon as it comes out. I have to tell you, like I, I need to be a Gavin Creel hipster here for a second. You do that. Because I I loved Gavin Creel before he got famous. I've loved Gavin Creel since Eloise at Christmas time. <laughs> There's a deep cut. <laughs> and that is my Gavin Creel hipster moment. Oh, that is when I fell wow. in love with him was in Eloise at Christmas time. Dear listener. Hi, dear listener. Come over here with me for a second. Hi, this is Ryan. You don't need to go watch Eloise at Christmas time. You really, yes, really you don't. Yes, you do. It's a beautiful you really, movie really that's don't. underrated. It's so, it's about the spirit of Christmas. It's so sweet. And Gavin Creel is phenomenal. Just go watch, go watch every Eloise version of A Christmas time. Carol you can find. Just go do that. Just go watch the Muppet Christmas Carol like four times. That's all the Christmas spirit you need. There are two movies, Ryan, that I watch every Christmas without fail. The Muppet Christmas Carol yes. and Eloise at Christmas Time. No, that's not the right second answer. But Because my two are uh, A Muppet Christmas Carol and then The Christmas Carol Musical with Kelsey Grammer. I always watch those two. Hey, Hey, Cassie, write that down. We're going to talk about The Christmas Carol when we get closer to December. Okay. I'm adding it to my list. A Christmas Carol. Done. So there's some other news happening as well in the wider Broadway world, but by the time this episode comes out, it won't really be as present. So we thought that we would do something a little different today. Driven largely by my inability to prep anything else right now because I'm neck deep in stress spaghetti. Part of the purpose of this podcast is to shine a light on how the theater process works, right? Cassie's laughing. I don't know if it's coming through on a microphone, though. So I just need to note that for myself, that that was a good joke. (laughs) The, the process behind how theater works, right? It, it can often be shrouded in mystery. It can often feel cult-ish. It can often feel exclusive or like you don't get it or you don't immediately fit in and understand what's happening. So we want to kind of 
demystify that a bit because there is a lot to it. There's a lot of language to it. There's a lot of real specific things and some real specific ways we do things. But it shouldn't be and really isn't that hard to understand some of the reasons why we do things. And I think that having a deeper understanding of how the process works really can make you appreciate a final product a little bit more. So as Cassie is about to open uh, her show and she's about to do all of that, before that, she has to go through something. It is a process known as Tech Week. It is. So I think the best way to do this is Cassie's just going to kind of lay out for us and walk through what Tech Week means for her, um, which can vary a little bit person to person, and then maybe I can, like, translate a little bit. Yeah, so the the couple things that are important to know as I talk about our Tech Week that we're preparing for is, first of all, we are a nomadic theater company. We do not have a home theater. We partner with... Um, churches and theater groups in our vicinity to use their spaces for our shows. Because of that, we frequently will do load-in shows. Mm -hmm. I'll allow Ryan to define that. So a load-in show is when uh, you build the set in one place and then you perform the show in another place. So the load-in day would be the first day that you could be in the performance venue um, and everybody shows up with the trucks and you get as many bodies as you can and you pull everything off of the trucks, put it on, on the stage, probably in pieces, and then everybody just goes ham trying to put the puzzle back together and hopefully nothing broke. Hopefully nothing broke. And um, if you are a pornomatic theater company like we are, lots of times you will actually be assembling your set for the first time yes. during load-in. Yes. So yeah, so we uh, frequently... Or recently, rather, we have been doing load-in shows where we spend the first 75 to 90% of the rehearsal process in an alternate location. And then we are in our performance space for a week. This show, we are lucky to have gotten to negotiate two weeks in the space, um, which I am super, super grateful for because we also have a Thursday night opening night for this show instead of a Friday night. So having two weeks in the space is really helpful. In terms of getting comfortable with it and getting to know it. Yeah. Um, so that's the first important thing to know is that we are nomadic. We don't have our own space. And the second thing that is important to know is that we are an educational theater company. And mm -hmm. that means that we try our hardest to have the majority of the roles in the show filled by students. Yep. And my tech director slash stage manager Liz is very, very passionate about this. So she actually taught a summer camp this summer that was a tech camp specifically. We wanted to find kids in our group who want to do tech and want to run crew, not just actors who didn't get cast in a show. And so we offer them crew as a consolation prize. Yeah. We want to find people who are passionate about the backstage inner workings of theater. I could I could talk about that for a very long time. That's it's a that it, That's its own episode. It's its own episode. Oh gosh, students! Students should do everything. Is the short version of that. Yeah, and so we're. This is really the first show in a long time where our whole tech crew is students. Great. Um, which is fantastic, and so they're learning how to 
program the light board and they're going to do their own lighting design with with my tech director kind of guiding them um, and leading them. And so those are the those are the two things that make my tech possibly a little bit different than you might see in other places and other locations. So we've got two weeks in the space. We had our load in on Sunday. Um, We helped strike the show that Ryan performed in. Yay. And then we built our set. And so yesterday then was my first day in the space with actors. Mm -hmm. And we did what I call the space acclimation rehearsal. Sure. We don't run the show top to bottom. We run all of the pieces of the show that involve the set that we haven't had up to that point. So we've been working with tape marks on the floor. But my set has like four different levels. And so what we ran yesterday was, okay, here's how this scene change is going to work. Because my actors are moving a lot of the set. Here's how the scene chain works now that you have to go up steps with this. Mm -hmm. Here's how this dance works now that you have a front of the stage that you can fall off of if you're not careful. Right. Here's how we're we're spacing things out. So for some context here, um, at the beginning of a rehearsal process, usually the read through or very, very shortly thereafter, um, the actors and the director and everybody are presented with, here's what the uh, set design is for the show or here's what the floor plan is for the set. Um, and then the majority of the rehearsal process takes place in a big old empty room flat floor one level there are tape marks very carefully measured out or sometimes not very carefully measured out denoting as carefully as possible when your rehearsal space is smaller than your performance yes space. trying to denote hey there is something here it might be higher it might be lower it might be steps it might be a chair it might be a who knows um and then you usually use rehearsal cubes which are just wooden boxes for everything until you get to uh, load-in day or first day on set or there's many terms for it. So that that yeah. difference of going from, hey, we're all in a flat space to, hey, look, there's multiple levels. Some things are higher. Some things are lower. It's a drastic change for all of the actors and especially young actors, especially actors that may not have done something more intricate and especially for musicals and with choreography, it's a lot. So that, yeah, so all of that to say, when Cassie says she, it was really, really great for her to get the second week in the space, especially with a musical, especially with having to load everything in, um, it just makes all of the actors feel much more comfortable and safer with the set, uh, and it's only a good thing. Yeah, so the last show I did, Lightning Thief, we ran into an issue when we got to load in that we found out that we we had some bad measurements in our initial measuring of the space when Oops. we designed our set. And we found out that our set didn't actually fit in the space. Oops. It was too big. Yeah, oops. Big oops, and it was all on us. Like, it was all our bad. Um, and so we spent load in day redesigning the set and then I went home and reblocked the show until like one in the morning and then the kids came in and that was Sunday and we opened on Friday and the kids came in Sunday and I had to reblock the whole show wow instead of like we're just getting acclimated to the space it's like no this is how everything is changing yeah it was very very stressful yesterday's space acclimation rehearsal actually went super duper smoothly this is me knocking on lots of wood because I'm not going to jinx myself. <laughs> that whole stage is wood. 
Uh-huh. So, yeah. So, so our space acclimation rehearsal yesterday went very smoothly. Today was a tech work day um, because of my production team schedule. Like, none of us are available on Tuesday nights. And so today was for the tech kids. So they got to be in the space. They were rearranging backstage and getting it all organized, getting the prop table set up, finding places for our set pieces to live when they're not on stage. Um working on painting the stage, Mm -hmm. doing a little bit of light work, but they have another tech day on Saturday because Saturday is homecoming for everybody. Um, So I can't have a rehearsal on Saturday, but it's fine because that means I get to have another day with just the tech kids, getting all that figured out. We're going to start to slowly incorporate costumes. That's the beauty of two weeks in the space as opposed to one. When you have to shove an entire tech week into just one week, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, this day we're adding lights and this day we're adding costumes and this day we're adding sound Mm -hmm. and we get to spread that out a little bit more which is going to be very very helpful yes so instead of having like four days to throw a show with all of its tech together i have eight days to throw a show with all of its tech together wildly and that's very beneficial wildly wildly you wouldn't think four extra days would make that much of a difference but it is huge it's huge um so uh, Tech Week uh, is also sometimes referred to as Hell Week, um, which yes. isn't great for us. There's been a lot of talk in the theater industry, especially over the last couple of years here with the pandemic and everything, about getting away from, you know, it's just the way the industry works, and that's just the way things have to be. Um, and I think the, I think this is a much longer conversation, but... Um, yeah. Specifically, trying to get away from the term "hell week" is only going to help everyone. Uh, on the mm-hmm. other hand, it is a very easy way to relay the importance of those four rehearsals to new students to theater and new parents of students to theater. Right. When you start calling something like when you start using language like that, they kind of sit up and take note, which isn't great, but is also great. So here we are. And I have a standard email that I send out around this time in my shows to parents, especially for the parents of kids who haven't been doing this for years and maybe don't know what to expect. Just kind of explaining to them, like, listen, up to this point, the rehearsal schedule has had a hard end time, and I have done my very best to release at that end time and not keep students later than that. Mm -hmm. When we get to the last week of rehearsal, though, the end time is a question mark, and it is because we have an obligation to our actors to run the show until it's finished. Mm -hmm. And so I can't stop them just because we've hit nine o'clock if we're not done. Yeah. And so we have to go until we're finished and then they have to get out of costume and put their costumes away and make sure everything is cleaned up before they leave. And so especially if you're a new parent, you've never done this before, like tech week is intense. It is it is stressful. It is long and exhausting. Mm -hmm. And it's just something to be prepared for, especially when you're working with young people who are in school, who I know have homework. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that they've got, like, other activities that they are doing and that this is a lot. Um, and that's kind of the crazy lifestyle that you sign up for when you agree to do this. And I think back, again, to me being this age and doing, like, two or three shows simultaneously. And I don't 
know how I pulled that off. No, that's terrible. Without yeah, losing that's my terrible. mind. Like, oy, that's just, no, 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 I'm good. Yeah. Even just thinking about multiple shows at the same time is not great for me. Mm-hmm. Right. I just want to completely focus on the artistic thing that I'm in at the moment. And then the next thing is later. You can kind of sort of plan for later. But yeah, just being focused all on one thing. Because Tech Week is. It is long and it, it is exhausting, and it can also be very demoralizing, especially for the actors, because uh, they can get, you know, the actors, by the time Tech Week rolls around, they've all been working together for weeks, if not months. They've figured out what they're doing. They've understand the show. They've gotten the show to a point where they are hopefully happy with it, right? And then all of a sudden... Thir- you know, we throw all of these tech elements in in at the same time, and this tech crew in as well, and it is a hot mess, and nothing feels good or right, and it could be it could just be very demoralizing, especially for students and new students who don't understand the process. Right, and you know, we get to a point as directors where I've had you know, seven weeks with these actors Mm -hmm. to hone what they're doing and to nuance what they're doing. And then all of a sudden we get to Tech Week and it's like, you're not going to get that many notes from me anymore because now I'm focused on how are the lights working, how are the set changes going. And I I remind the kids a lot, like the actors specifically, you've had eight, nine, ten weeks to learn this. Mm -hmm. Your tech crew gets maybe two to learn what they are doing. So they are really putting everything in a much shortened time period and my kids keep asking me when no line call day is Mm -hmm. so um off book day is when they can't have their scripts on stage anymore they have to be memorized but they can still ask for the line Mm -hmm. if they don't remember it no line call day is when they can't do that anymore they have to just figure it out on stage for themselves and usually i give them kind of a hard and fast like this is no line call day and for this show, the answer is when there is no one available anymore to be on book for you. Gotcha. And sometimes it's coming up yeah, soon. Yeah. Sometimes that just kind of happens, right? Like if all of a sudden you look around the yeah. room and you're like, uh, nobody can hold a script. People have lights and set pieces. Okay. I guess we're on our own now. That's Figure always it fun. Out. And it is always a train That's, wreck that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it's going to be interesting. Uh, tomorrow is also Kiss Day. Okay. For my show, uh, because I I don't like stage kisses. I think we briefly have touched on this. And I think a yeah. lot of it has to do with the fact that it's students. It's students. They always look bad. Stage kisses always look bad. And so I've always said that if I'm going to do a show that has kissing in it, it's going to be real kissing. And I make sure that I make that clear to the students when they audition. Mm-hmm. There's a question on their audition form about whether or not they're comfortable kissing another student. I tell them to answer that question honestly, and I will not cast them in a role that involves kissing if they're not comfortable doing it. I'm not going to ask my students to do something they're uncomfortable with. Yeah. But this show has kissing in it, and so I cast students who said they were comfortable kissing other students in the show, and tomorrow is the day when they don't fake it anymore. They have to actually do the kiss because that is also something you have to practice. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you do. It's weird to think of it that way. But it's also, I think, helpful to think of it that way, like that this is just another piece of blocking. Yes, it is. Okay, so this is like wildly relevant because I literally just did this. 
right? Right. I literally just did this. And it is very different if it's adults or if it's children, like, or even Mm -hmm. high schoolers. Like, it's just different because that's just how it is. Like, having two adults kiss is very different from having two 16-year-olds kiss. It has to be thought of as blocking or choreography, um, and it needs to be talked about early and often and mm-hmm. treated with the correct level of dignity and seriousness that it requires. Um, otherwise, everyone just breaks out in the giggles all the time. Uh, right, exactly. And nobody likes that. Um, so uh, I was just in a show, the show that just closed five women wearing the same dress, and I had my character trip kisses Trisha twice in very quick succession towards the end of the show and that was skipped over until a week and a half before the show and then Haley and I Haley played Trisha just kind of had to figure it out and that is not necessarily a great way to go about doing it thankfully um, we both know what we're doing and it was fine and we figured it out but every now and then you just get a reminder that of, hey, yeah, this is uh we gotta think about things. So it's I like acting. I like acting, but I really like reminding myself what it's like to be an actor and then turning around and directing again. So it's a good reminder yeah. for me. Yeah, and we've got there are four kisses in this show. Okay. Eight Between... different people. No. Between three different people. Okay. Um, at least the way that we're doing it. So okay. so I've there's three couples in the show, but well, there's three and a half couples in the show. <laughs> little women, um, everyone. Little women. So there's a kiss between Joe and Lori. There can be a kiss between Meg and John Brooke. We're not having one in our show. There can be a kiss between Lori and Amy. Um, we're not having one of those in our show. Um, and that just has to do with the comfort level of the students involved. So sure. just because of who I had audition, my older Amy is 13 and my uh, Lori is 16. So I went into that saying I'm not doing no, that. No, yeah, that kiss. is a good decision. I'm not good doing choices. that. Um, and so like they can have a cute moment without having a kiss. And then there is a kiss between Joe and Lori and there is a kiss. There's three kisses between Joe and Professor Bear. So they they got a lot. And there's definitely one of those kisses that does not have to happen. And I've told them we're going to see how it looks and feels in the moment and decide whether or not we're going to keep it. And that's tomorrow. And that's tomorrow. That's a heck of a day tomorrow. So mm-hmm. so that's a little bit into how Tech Week works. Um, it's a lot. It can be miserable. It can be demoralizing. But it's the final step of putting together the puzzle of a show. It's always entertaining, if nothing else. Yeah, I am I am both excited and apprehensive to see the tech elements come together. I have a very enthusiastic lighting designer who's never designed lights before in his life. Perfect. And I I'm excited to see what he does, but I also <laughs> feel like we're probably going to have to rein him in a little bit. That is probably um, accurate, yeah. And just be like, "Yes, we want to use the lights to help tell the story, but there also need to be like practical logistic things." Right. That have to happen with the lights. So that's just the way it is. Yeah, but it's a whole process. It's a whole. It's a whole process. Um, so as you have been in this new theater, um, Oak Street Theater, has the ghost light ghost followed you, or is the ghost light ghost um, 
central only to our our uh, equipment? Does it follow the equipment or does it follow the people? It's hard to say. I haven't noticed any instances of the ghost like ghost in Oak Street yet, um, but I also haven't been in there by myself. Ah, okay. There you go. And so I feel like if there's a lot of people around, you're less likely to encounter the ghost. Okay. But I will still be inviting the ghost like ghost to our show. I feel like that's just polite. Uh, it's just good manners. Yeah. Yeah. You just leave. There has to be an open seat. That's just how that works. Oh, that's going to be tough in this. It's a small space and we're hoping to sell out. Look, the open seat can be in the booth. That's true, and it might have to be. Or backstage. Yeah, there's a spot backstage we can make, but he's got to pull his weight. If he's going to be backstage, he's got to be helping with quick changes. Look, we all need more hands for quick changes. There's never enough hands. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming along with us on this journey by the Ghost Light. You can find us on Twitter at by the Ghost Light Pod, and a huge shout out to everyone else on the network. You can check out all the fine shows at ghostlightmedia.net. Shows like imprinted echoes which has started up its new season and it's uh pretty great and i can't pronounce the title you can't pronounce imprinted echoes no 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 their subtitle their subtitle was rhapsody for season one i can say that the subtitle for season two is i think it's anamnesis but i don't know if i'm saying it correctly a n a m N-E-S-I-S. Anamnesis. That sounds like a Zan question. That sounds like a Zan question. So uh, go uh, ask Zan, everyone, how to pronounce that. And in retaliation, Zan can listen to this episode and tell us all the things we got wrong about tech. Yes, that is what they are here for. And look, Ryan, you thought we weren't going to have anything to talk about this episode. Well, I knew we needed a jumping off point and then we would be fine. We can talk real good for a while. We can talk real good. (laughs) And we are glad that you are here listening to us talk real good about everything theater. And hopefully this style of episode was still enjoyable to listen to. Yeah. Here's hoping. So uh, that's all from us today. I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. And join us next time by the ghost light. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.